This is MSF Torah. It's not just a podcast. It's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Torah. Presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast, visit our website at msoftorah.com and join Patreon for exclusive content. we've established with different ideas that there is Hashem, there is a God, we want to know a very, very basic fundamental question, which is a question that's discussed at length in different places, but we want to try and understand this properly. The question is, why did Hashem create the world? We're going to assume for now a creation of Yesh Ma'ayin. That's certainly our belief. That's certainly what the Torah says without getting into the details, but it doesn't really make a difference for this conversation. That's the truth. But really, why did Hashem create the world? We we want to understand what, what this world accomplishes. Now let's let's understand and define first this question. I mean, this question can be understood in one of two different ways, and we want to know what we're asking and really what we are not asking. Question number one is why did Hashem choose to create the world as opposed to not creating? When we do things, we are choosing things. And this is touches on the discussion of free will, but without getting there, we could always ask a question of why I decided to do something as opposed to not do it. When I decide to eat, I could ask myself, what, what pushed me to decide to eat as opposed to not eat? I could have chosen not to eat. Why did I decide to eat? So really we're asking for the motivation. Why did Hashem, what motivated Hashem? Why did Hashem choose, as it were, to create the world? Question number two we could ask is for what, for what did Hashem create the world? What purpose did Hashem create the world for? What did creating the world accomplish? So let's understand a little bit better. Let's just understand this distinction because it's a very, very important point. If I ask you, <clears throat> there's a person over there who manufactures cars. Right? He, make, he makes cars. So I ask you, why does he make the cars? So you could really answer me in one of two ways. Either you'll say that he makes the cars because he wants to help people drive and he wants to make people have a comfortable time driving and so on and so forth. Or you could say he makes cars because he wants to make money. Now, what's the difference between those two questions? You really, the difference really is, what are you really asking? Are you asking either why, i.e. what motivated this person to make the cars? If you're asking what motivated him to make the cars, you're asking he had a choice to either make cars or not manufacture cars. He decided to make cars. What pushed him to decide to make cars as opposed to not making the cars? The answer to that is that he wants to make money. The other question you could be asking him is, what purpose is he making the cars for? What is he trying to accomplish by making the cars? So the answer to that with through making the cars, he's trying to accomplish that people enjoy the drive better, obviously to make money. But if you're asking why he's making these cars, what is he making these cars for? The answer to that is that he's making the cars for people to drive and so on and so forth. So the question either is, what motivates you to make a decision? Why are you making this decision as opposed to not making the decision? That's one why. And that's getting into your motivation. The other type of why is not really, is not that at all. It's asking you what purpose, what are you accomplishing by doing this? So again, if we go back to the cars analogy, if you are, what you're accomplishing by making the cars is that you're allowing people to drive better. People are driving better, more comfortably, and so on. So these are two different questions. They're really two, and obviously you get two different answers because they're completely two different questions. One is a question in your motivation. One's getting, asking about you, what's going on in your mind. The other one is asking about, not nothing really about you, about simply what you actually did. Meaning your cars are there for people to drive. So it's not really discussing you per se, it's discussing the thing you created. When we talk about Hashem, 
we do not talk about Hashem as a personality. And I'll explain a little bit of a reason in a moment, but just as a, but just as a general point, we never talk about Hashem in terms of Him per se. Rather, what we learn about Hashem is His relationship, we understand about Hashem, His, His relationship to us. So let's just go back to this point. If I ask you, what motivated Hashem to create the world? Why did Hashem create the world? What I'm asking is something about Hashem. I'm asking really, what caused him to make the world? Now, if I ask it in that scenario, that in that way, obviously we can't ask such a question because nothing caused Hashem to do anything. Hashem is unchanging first cause. Hashem does not change. Hashem is above time. Hashem is above change. Hashem doesn't change himself, which we'll expand on a little bit later on. Nothing can change Hashem. Nothing could cause anything. Nothing can make Hashem do anything. So when we're asking, well, why did he choose? So now we're asking a question that's, that's going to be impossible for us to understand because we have no understanding at all about Hashem. We cannot ask this question of why did he choose something? What we're really asking is about Hashem's choice and this, and those things are, are not things that we could deal with. We cannot deal with the quote-unquote psychology of, of Hashem because it's so completely divorced from us that we just don't have any idea of it. So that's not a question we could ask. Again, we can't ask what caused him to choose because nothing caused him to choose. And we can't ask him what motivated him to choose because that's also asking what caused him to choose. And we're not asking why did Hashem choose, which is something that's uncaused because we're not getting into Hashem's psychology. The way the Svarim write it is Hashem in his Ritzoino Hapashut. Hashem simply, simply willed that the world could be in existence. And that's all we're going to know about it. So we can't go further than that in terms of asking what the motivation of Hashem was. And this is what the Rambam means when he writes that we can't know what the reason why Hashem created the world. He's talking about this particular aspect of it. That if I ask why Hashem decided to choose, then that's not something that we could ask, not something we can know. It's just completely divorced from us. It's not even worth the time to spend on it. What we're really asking when we say why Hashem created the world is what purpose did it accomplish? What did Hashem's creating the world do? So that's the question that we want to know, because that's a question not about Hashem himself. It's a question about his creation. And once we get to what Hashem's creation, there we could start to understand a little bit more about the stuff. And just like we, we understand Hashem's world, through the world, we understand aspects about Hashem, obviously. But we don't look at Hashem. We don't look at Hashem to understand. We actually look to the world to understand these certain points. So the same thing over here, when we're looking at, as it were, the car that Hashem created, so we're understanding what did this accomplish? So when we look at the world, we're asking simply what did the world accomplish? So in that sense, we're asking the question of why Hashem created the world. And when the Sfarim say, and we're going to get to this point, that Hashem created the world for our benefit, that's what they're talking about. They're never going to be talking about the motivation of Hashem. Because again, like the Ram says, you could always ask, well, why did Hashem want our benefits? And so on and so forth, until you get to a point where you simply have to say, Hashem's Ritzoino HaPashut, Hashem's simple will decide that we, that He creates the world. But we're talking about what, what it accomplished, what purpose the creation of the world had. That's where the Sfarim come along and say, for our benefit, which we're going to, Mirz Hashem, get to. And that's why there's no contradiction between these two sources. They're talking about different points. Okay, so we've understand, understand properly the question of why Hashem created the world. We're asking, what did the creation of the world accomplish? Now, before we discuss what it actually accomplished, the details, we have to ask a different question, which is, for whom was it direct? This creation of the world was for whose benefit, we'll call it. Was it for Hashem's benefit? Was it for no one's benefit? Or was it for our benefit? Those are the possibilities. Now, I'm going to say for no one's benefit, I think right off the bat is irrational. So we're not even going to deal with that. I think it's completely rational to say that there was no purpose at all, no reason, no nothing that it accomplished. That's something completely irrational. I'm not willing to accept that. So we're really down to two things. Either the purpose of the world is create is for the benefit of Hashem, or it's for ours. To say that it's for Hashem's benefit 
is going to be impossible. The reason for that is because Hashem needs nothing. And to conclude, it's got to be for our benefit, which we're going to dis- discuss. But let's talk about why we, Hashem, why we are assuming that it cannot be for Hashem's benefit. So does Hashem need us? Does Hashem need anything? The answer is is an unequivocal no. To say any different is simply apicursus, and this is not even something up for debate. To say that Hashem needs something is completely, completely antithetical to the concept of what Hashem is. Anybody who says such a thing does not either understand what Hashem is or does not understand what the word need means. There's one or two possibilities. But if you understand properly what Hashem is or what the word need means, there's an impossible, it's impossible to say that Hashem needs something. Why is this true? So when we talk about Hashem, we've discussed already that Hashem being a first cause is not dependent on anything else. So we discussed already from Hashem's vantage point. We, uh, we hopefully understand now a little bit about what Hashem is. Now let's talk about what it needs to, to need something. To need something means that if I need something, that means I'm incapable of attaining some sort of goal or a state of being without this thing, this X, i.e. this need of mine. It's something that I'm lacking. So if I need to be, if I need food to live, it means without food, I cannot live. If I need a fork, in order to eat, it means without a fork, I cannot eat. I cannot attain a certain goal unless I have something. And without this thing, that goal is impossible to me. That's what it means to be a need. So again, without food or without water, I cannot live for longer than however, uh, however, however long it takes. A certain sense of imperfection, we're not even going to go to that terminology. We're not using that. We're going to simply say that if I want to accomplish something, a goal, or I want to be in a certain state of being, I have a necessity. This thing is something that I... I don't want to use the word need in the definition, but I'm sort of going to have to. It's something that I can't do without it. I need it. So when we talk about need in terms of us, <clears throat> then when we, this is what we're saying. We're saying that without this thing, i.e. our need, we cannot accomplish a goal. We cannot be in a state of being, in a certain state of being, i.e. we cannot exist. Well, what would that mean in terms of Hashem? Well, it would have to mean the same type of thing. Does Hashem need something i.e., if we're talking about a certain goal that Hashem has to accomplish, or a certain ex- state of being, an existence that Hashem is, is in, so He would have to need something in order to be in that state of existence, or to accomplish that goal. So we're going to leave the accomplishing the goal aside for a moment, but the first thing that we have to understand is that for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for His existence, He needs nothing. And this is just straight out of the Rambam that we read last time at the beginning of the Yesodos that the Rambam says, that He brings in the 13 Yesodos in the parish of Mishnaya, so Sanhedrin, in the middle of the Rambam writes, if that everything else wouldn't exist, lo yisbatel metziyos Hashem yisbarach, Hashem's existence wouldn't be nullified. Hashem would still exist the same way. Vlo yigra, and also wouldn't be lessened. The Rambam is telling us that Hashem needs nothing. That if you take everything else away, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is exactly the same as He is, and He's not lessened at all. The Rambam adds, right? Not only does the Rambam say that He still exists, but He's not any less than He was before, which means to say that Hakadosh Baruch Hu needs nothing. It's a very, very clear, very again, very unequivocal. This is very, very pashut. It's not even something close to up to debate, that Hashem does not need anything. To imply that Hashem needs something means that He changes. When I need food, it's because I'm hungry and I'm lacking in certain set, a certain extent of my existence before I have the food and after I have the food, I'm now stronger. It's, it implies a change. And Kodesh Baruch Hu cannot change. Hashem is outside of time. Hashem does not change. So that means Hashem does not need. And it's very, very obvious that in just in terms of any existence at all, Hashem doesn't need anything. That's just straight the Rambam like we read, that again, if you 
you to remove everything else in the world, Akash Baruch wouldn't be changed at all. That's because Hashem can change, but also because Hashem is the first cause. He's not dependent on anything else. So even if you were to remove everything else, nothing would change by Hashem, i.e. very unequivocally, very clearly, Akash Baruch does not need anything to exist. That's obvious. Now let's talk about the second point. If Hashem wants to accomplish something and he needs something to accomplish it, so does that imply a need? So it really depends. Depends on what he's coming to accomplish. Since everything Hashem is coming to accomplish does not impact his existence at all. Rather, Hashem is unchanged, unaffected, no matter what happens. So when we talk about what he's coming to accomplish, it must be that what he's coming to accomplish is for somebody else. And it must be defined as a want as opposed to a need. Meaning to say, if nothing impacts Hashem, if everything he's trying to accomplish doesn't impact him one way or another, then you can't define that as a need. Let's say I'm hungry, and but I'm, I don't need the food right now. I actually just want the food. I, I don't need it to live. I simply just want something to eat right now. But I can't get it myself. I need you to get it. So I have a certain goal, i.e. I want food and in order for me to accomplish this goal, I cannot do without you. Therefore, I need you to help me get it. So now the question is, is this something now a need? Do I now say that I need to get food? The answer to that is obviously no. I don't say I need to get food. Just because I need you to get the food doesn't mean I need the food. The food is something that I still want. And just bec- and I need you to get it to accomplish a certain goal. I need you to get that's true, but it doesn't turn the food into a necessity. It, n- nothing's turned into anything. It is, I, I have a necessity for you to accomplish a certain goal, but that doesn't imply a need in me right now. It's simply a want. I will. I want food, and I need you to get it. But I only need you to get it because I can't get it without you. But it doesn't imply a need. Doesn't even imply necessarily. Doesn't imply anything else. It's simply I want food. Let's say I want my children to do very well on a test. But obviously I don't want to just take the test for them. I want them to earn it. I want them to know the material themselves. I want them to work hard. I want them to to feel good about working hard. But really to get them in the mode of working hard. So I want them to do well. So my desire is that they do well. They they're doing well on the test is not a benefit for me. It doesn't change me per se. All it does is that my desire is fulfilled, but in terms of my necessities, I could live easily without it. We're going to get without getting into happiness in this, but certainly my existence is not really dependent on whether they do well on the test or not. I'm perfectly fine without it. Whether or not they do well on the test, nothing's changing by me. I would like it, but it doesn't change me. It doesn't make it, doesn't mean it's a necessity by me. So my desire is that they do well, but the only way to do that is that they do it themselves. So, I, because I can't get involved with them. I want them to do it themselves because I want them to earn it for themselves. And the more I'm involved, the less they earn it themselves. So I need them to do their best in order to fulfill my desire. So does this ever become a need? Does this mean now that I need them for something? No, very simple. I have a desire for them to do well. The only way they could do well is doing it through themselves. But it doesn't change the desire of them doing well into a necessity. It simply means in order to fulfill my desire, there is something that that needs to be done. But again, in a general broad sense, it doesn't change it into a necessity. It doesn't change the whole thing into a necessity. And this last muscle is very apropos for what we're talking about by Hashem. We're going to get to the, expand on this idea soon, but let's just say for now, Hashem wants to benefit us in this world. The way He wants to benefit us is for us to do it ourselves for, with free choice and whatever the details are. But He wants us to do it ourselves. He wants us to do mitzvahs so that we benefit. So it's a, all under the rubric of a desire. It's simply one big desire. The desire is that we do our best, that we have the most benefit we possibly could have. The way to get there, the way Hashem in His Chachma decided it, and we'll see why in a moment, is that we need to do it ourselves. So 
we need to do mitzvahs in order to fulfill Hashem's will, that's true, but it doesn't change the fact that it's, a, it doesn't change it into a need. It still is Hashem's simple will that wants us to do well. The way to get there is through us. He's leaving it up to us. But again, that doesn't connote a need at all under any circumstances. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's simply that Hashem desires us to have the best things possible. The way to get there is for Hashem decided that it's, we need to do it ourselves. So we, Hashem, as it were, needs us to do this in order to fulfill his desire, but that never changes it, it never changes it into a need. It's not that Hashem chose to need. It's nothing to do with that. It's Hashem has a desire, as it were, whatever that means in Hashem's, by Hashem, whatever. Again, we can't really discuss these terms by Hashem because it doesn't make, doesn't make sense. Hashem doesn't have a desire like we have a desire. Hashem desires us to do our best, we'll say, and he leaves it for us. So to fulfill, as it were, that those desires, then yes, he, needs us to do mitzvahs, but that does not imply a need by Hashem. So there is no benefit, there's no need to Hashem. Hashem doesn't change, Hashem is not affected. So there is nothing in the world, in the creation of the world, that can affect, change, benefit Hashem in any way possible. So if that's the case, then the only option that it leaves us with is that the world was created for us, for our sake, for our benefit, for for us. And that is what the Svarim all say. The Svarim all say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world for us. Again, the purpose of the world, it's meant, that to, it's meant to benefit us. Now, why is it that we don't see things this way? Why is it that we don't simply see a world where every human being is just benefiting in the most, in the biggest way possible? The answer is, like this farm tell us, is because the Karash created an Olam Hazeh and an Olam Haba. And Olam Haba, the next world, is a place for the reward, it's the place to reap all the benefits. And Olam Hazeh is not that place. Now the question obviously is, and this is also a very famous question, why did Hashem not simply just take us into Olam Haba? If the entire purpose of this world is to benefit us, and the place for that benefit is Olam Haba, then why create Olam Haza at all? Why not just put us straight into Olam Haba and have us enjoy and benefit whatever pleasure Hashem wants to give, right? The, the Svarim are explaining that the, the world is created for our benefit, our pleasure, if you want to say, the ultimate pleasure, ultimate benefit, however you exactly want to say it. But the point is that that all that happens in Olam Haba. So if it happens Olam Haba, why not just create a world just with Olam Haba? Why need this middle stage of Olam Haza? Very, very famous question. The answer, very famously given, is a concept of Nahama de Kisufa, which is translated as the bread of shame. Now, what does that mean? It means that Hashem wants to give us the reward, but Hashem doesn't want to simply give us the reward. Hashem wants us to earn the reward. We all know that whenever we work for something, the thing is worth more than us than if we were to have it given to us. There are very famous stories about how people, that first dollar bill that people had from their business after they worked a long, long time and finally made the first dollar bill, that was something that was worth much more than when it became a little bit easier to them later on. The, the money that came in afterwards was is just worth, in a certain sense, less. We all know, we all know this to be true, that when we accomplish something, when we work something and we attain a goal, it's worth much more than it is if we're just given it. If we work for money, that money is more valuable to us than if we were simply given that money. So that's the same thing with Hashem. Hashem doesn't want to give us into Olam Haba because if Hashem puts us in Olam Haba, everything that we have in Olam Haba is going to be worth, worth less to us than if we were to put, put us in Olam Haza. We were to work for it. We were to do our best for it, to put, put all our energy and all our life into something. If we attain it that way, then it's much more pleasurable than if we were simply giving it to us. And that's basically, and that is the answer of the Svarim. That's the answer of Namadiki Sufa, the bread of shame, that when you're given something, 
accompanied with that giving of it is a certain aspect of shame. People don't like to be given things. People like to earn things themselves. Again, that's a, just a natural phenomenon that we all know is true. So the same thing over here. Akadosh Baruch Hu didn't just want to give us, just give us the pleasure because it would be worth less for us if he simply would just give it to us. Rather, he wanted us to own, to earn it ourselves, own it for ourselves as well. And the same thing with all parents. Parents do the same thing by children. You can't just give children things. They have to actually make them people who are hardworking and they're going to earn things themselves. The job of a parent is not simply just to give everything to the parent. It's actually to make the child an independent child that he could live for himself one day. It's actually making him independent of yourself. You're trying to, a good parent eventually lets go of his children and lets the parent and lets the child live for himself. If you're just going to always shower the children with certain things, you haven't really succeeded as a parent. It's not really your job. Your job is to make an independent being, independent of yourself. And he's an independent of all other things that he should need. He should be an independent person. And that's the idea of a parent. And that's, that's exactly what Hashem is doing with us. He's making us independent, he's, that we're not really dependent on his gifts. Rather, we're going to earn it for ourselves. And that's the answer as presented, again, by the Svarim and others who explain the Svarim. Now, on this there's a really serious question, and it's a very obvious question. The question is, it just really begs itself. Well, why did Hashem have to do things this way? Why couldn't Hashem have simply overridden this problem? Why can't Hashem take away this idea of Nama de Kisufa and simply give us the maximum pleasure without the shame? Why can't He make it that getting something and working for something will be the same pleasure? What's our problem? Our problem is that if Hashem would bring us into Olam Haba, then the pleasure would be a given pleasure, and accompanied with that pleasure would be a sense of shame, and it wouldn't be a full pleasure. And Hashem, in His goodness, wants to give us the ultimate benefit, ultimate pleasure, and that ultimate benefit can only be given when we earn it ourselves. So He puts us in Olam Hazeh. Like we said, the same thing we have in human psychology is that when we earn something ourselves, it's much more pleasurable, beneficial to us than when we're simply given it. Okay, but that seemingly, that human psychology is all a simple result of how Hashem designed creation. If Hashem would have designed creation in a different way, then things could have been different. If I make a computer system and I I create all these people in in my little game, so I give them certain rules. If I make in their rules that they enjoy things more when they get it themselves as opposed to when they're given for it, when they're given it, then I could just simply override that system. I don't need, I don't need to make it in that, in that way in the first place. So you can't say that's the issue. Who, who's holding Hashem's hands over here? Who's, who's tying his hands? If Hashem wanted, seemingly, he could just make the entire world differently and take away this problem, take away the whole problem, and then the Mela will be fine. Then simply put us into Olam Haba, override the whole problem, take away the issue, and then we'll have the same pleasure as if we were given into it. As if it, it was, it was, uh, as if we earned it, excuse me. So why can't Hashem do that? So another way of asking this question is why can't Hashem manufacture a different type of pleasure and put us there and give us the maximum pleasure there as opposed to us having to earn it? So very, very simple way of asking such a question is why can't Hashem create some sort of spa for us with a lot of nice pools and a lot of this and a lot of that and just put us there for all eternity and what are you going to say? You're going to say, well, that's not as much pleasure as if we earn it ourselves. Again, why can't Hashem just override it and put whatever pleasure we get from earning something, just put that into this spa, these pools, whatever it is, and have us enjoy that in Gan Eden for our entire, per- entire eternity, as opposed to us having to work for it. So again, the answer would be given is that Hashem wants to give the maximum pleasure possible. And that would only be through attaching ourselves to Him, to Vekus, to Hashem, whatever that means. Well, why can't Hashem simply just make the pleasures equal? Why can't Hashem take the maximum pleasure 
that you get from dveikas to him, whatever that means, and put it in this spa, in these pools, and then we're good. We're good to go. We don't have to work at all. So why can Hashem do all this? It's a very serious understanding. What do these farm mean when they say this Namadei Kasufa? Why does this answer, why does answer make any sense? In short. So to answer this question properly, to really understand what this farmer is saying, we need to int- introduce a concept. And this concept is, many, many we've shown him speak about this concept in different, different places. The concept is that there are, there are certain quote unquote limitations that Hashem has. Now it's in quote, in quotations, because they're not really limitations in Hashem, as we're going to point out, but it's rather limitations in the things or the concepts, or really it's an impossibility of the things or the concepts themselves. In, if you want to say it in very blunt terms, there are certain things Hashem can't do, but those things don't imply limitation of Hashem. They're not a problem to say that Hashem cannot do them. So let's give these classic questions that people like to ask, and we'll see a very, very simple answer, and with this we'll try and understand our concept. Can Hashem create another Hashem? So let's understand this concept. What does this question mean? Can Hashem create another being that is not created? Meaning, Hashem is a first cause, Hashem has no cause. So if we take, if we just strip the words down into, into their ideas, Hashem, what we're going to say, means the first cause, meaning the uncreated being, the uncaused being. Okay, so now the question really reads as follows. Can an uncaused being, Hashem, cre- create and cause another uncaused being? Well, that question makes no sense. How could, does it make any sense to say that Hashem can create another being that's not created? Another being that's not created, which is created, is an impossible concept. So, of course Hashem cannot create another Hashem. But it doesn't imply limitation in Hashem, because a, a, a created being that's not created is just a bunch of words put together that sound like they're, that sound like they're saying something, but they're not really saying anything. So how about another question? Can Hashem create a triangle with four sides? So can Hashem create a shape that has three sides and give it four sides? Can you do such a thing? Can Hashem make one plus one equals three? That's asking. One plus one is another way of saying two. So can Hashem make two equal three? Can Hashem make something dangerous safe? Can Hashem take a, a, a dangerous situation and at the same time that it's dangerous, it's also safe? Not can He change it to safe situation? Can He say, can, make, can Hashem make something dangerous or safe at the same time? So all these things, the answer is very simply no. And of course, there's a, the classic question, can Hashem create a rock that He can't lift? The answer to all these things are no. And all these things don't imply a limitation in Hashem. Another way of, of saying this last idea is a limitless being is not limitless, is not limited by the fact that he can't limit himself. If I say Hashem is limitless, and then I ask you, well, can Hashem limit himself? The answer is no. Well, does that not imply limitation? The answer, the answer is no. Limitless, being perfect, is not an imperfection. Being limitless is not a limitation. So this is a very, very important idea. Again, many Rishonim say this idea, but we have to know when we're asking for something, are we asking for something that actually is a legitimate, coherent question, or are we just putting words together to make it sound fancy. So again, a four-sided triangle is an impossibility. It's not an impossibility like, let's say if I ask Hashem, make, make us fly. That's an impossibility because nature has a certain laws and these laws in theory could have been made in different ways. That's a different type of something. That's something that certainly Hashem can do. There's no problem with saying that Hashem can do that. Obviously, we believe Hashem does do that. The problem is when we say something that's definitionally impossible, that's absurdly impossible or absolutely impossible in any way, any way, shape, or form. No matter how many times the world is created, no matter when, however the world is created, one plus one will never equal three. A triangle will not have four sides. It's by definition. I'm saying, can a three-sided thing have four sides? It makes no sense. So that 
is a definitionally impossible thing. That's not something that Hashem can create because there's nothing to create. So it's not a limitation in Hashem, it's a limitation in the thing. There is no such thing and, and never can be such a thing as a three-sided, uh, four-sided triangle. There's no such a concept as one plus one equals three. And there's no such concept as a limitation of, of a limited Hashem. Those things are not a limited, an unlimited thing with a limitation. That's just not a, a coherent concept. So that's not something that Hashem could do. And it's not a limitation, it's not a problem to say that Hashem cannot do such a thing. Again, Hashem can't kill himself. Hashem can't create another Hashem and so on and so forth. There's all these things that you have to know that there's, that I'll call it, it's definitionally impossible and it doesn't apply in perfection or limitation to Hashem if it cannot be done. That's the first thing we have to know. The second thing is that, as we said before, Hashem can't change himself. Again, it's not, doesn't apply limitation. Hashem is unchanging. Hashem is perfection. Change implies being subject to time. That there's a before, there's an after. Change also implies to be subject to causes, which will, don't have to expand on, but in short, Hashem cannot change himself. Hashem is the way he is, and he will, and he's, it's impossible for him to be any different. So now let's say it in a very simple way, and then we're going to expand a little bit more. Hashem's will and Hashem are really one. We explained that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have things. Hashem doesn't have knowledge. Hashem doesn't have a will. Hashem doesn't have this, doesn't have that, doesn't have emotions, doesn't love things in the sense that we do. All these things are implied components to Hashem. And as we said, Hashem has no components. Hashem is simply one. So Hashem doesn't have a will. Hashem just is. And this is the Rambam expands on many, many places. Hashem simply is. Hashem is Echad, one, cannot change himself because he doesn't have these parts. And he also doesn't have a will, doesn't have emotions as we, as we spoke about. So in short, Hashem cannot change himself. Hashem cannot change his will. Once Hashem can change himself, we understand Hashem can change his will because his will is simply himself. Again, these are not ideas we can really appreciate on an emotional level because we haven't experienced them. But on paper, we'll say that Hashem and his will are simply one. We can't understand that, but that's what it is. Hashem is, sim- is, doesn't have things, he simply is. So when I talk about Hashem's will, I'm using these words just in terms that we could understand for our, because we have experience with when I say my will, I understand what that means. But again, it's not really applied to Hashem in a, in a pure sense at all. Hashem simply is, Hashem doesn't have a will. But saying that means to say that Hashem cannot change himself. And since the Torah is an expression of his will, Hashem cannot change the Torah at all. And we're going to speak about this a little bit later, a little bit more of the details. There's always a question that was bothering me was that, can you say that in theory, Hashem could have made murder into a mitzvah. We're going to discuss this question a little bit later. But for now, the at the at the, the official level, we'll simply say, no, Hashem cannot have made murder into a mitzvah. We're going to discuss that. Why? There is a concept in the Torah called Afum Tsar Agra. The concept says that based on the amount of tsar, pain and effort you put in, that's the amount of reward. That means you will, no, no matter what, you will always get more reward when you put in more effort. If that's a rule in Torah, then that's an unchanging rule. Just like Hashem is unchanging, His will, Kivyachal, is also unchanging. And therefore, that rule is not going to be able to change, be changed under any circumstances. Therefore, no matter what, there's always going to be more reward when you work for it as opposed to when it's given. And because of that, the maximum amount of pleasure will always be when you work for it as opposed to having it given to you. So if Hashem wants to give the maximum amount of pleasure to us, the only way that it's done is through His reward, is, is the way the way His Torah is, which is the Fum Tzara Agra. And since that cannot be changed, therefore the only amount, the maximum amount of pleasure that Hashem could give is through our reward as opposed to giving, giving it to us. And that's really the, again, official explanation of why this is true. But I want to expand on this a little bit further. Now, the Schar in Olam Haba, we have to understand, is not Stam, it's not an arbitrary Schar. It's not 
just being given things, not having a nice time. The scar really comes from being replicating the perfection of Hashem in as, as much as you possibly can. The perfection that we're trying to get in Olam Haba, the fullness, the shlemus, is a replication as much as we possibly can of Hashem's fullness and shlemus. And that's what Hashem is giving. Now, just like Hashem is the most perfect being, and Hashem cre- cannot create an- another perfect being like Him, like we discussed. So by definition, the most perfection to be found will always be Hashem. If that's the case, the most pleasure, the most benefits, we'll say, is always being as similar to Hashem as possible. And that's, again, not something that can be changed because Hashem can't replicate His perfection because it just is, as we as we discussed. So if that's the case, the ultimate perfection is going to be similarity to Hashem. So the way to give over this perfection, again, is through Hashem's directions in terms of how He's going to direct us to becoming as most perfect, as most similar to Hashem as possible. Now, by definition, Hashem's perfection is not given to Him. This is one of those definitional things. Hashem has no causes. Hashem just is. Hashem isn't given things. If He's given things, that would mean He has things, and He doesn't have any things. And, and certainly, it would imply that Hashem's perfection is more perfect when after he was given something than before, and that's obviously not true. Hashem doesn't change. Hashem's perfection is not given to him. It's intrinsic to him. Again, he has nothing. He simply is. Then by definition, if we were to have two people, one who was given something and one who earned it for himself and changed himself intrinsically, the second person will be more similar to Hashem than the first person. That's a, Again, that's a definitional thing. If Hashem is something who has not, who's not given anything, who doesn't have things, he just is intrinsically, then if we were to ask, well, if you have a person who was given this perfection of Hashem, number one, he was given it, person number one was given this perfection, number two, person number two earned it and changed himself and became more like this perfection of Hashem, then by definition, person number two would be actually closer to Hashem and act more than the first person, because the first person is is not similar, is by definition less similar to Hashem than the second person. Since Hashem wasn't given anything, this person who was given something is less similar to Hashem than the person who wasn't given something. And then again, these are definitional truths as something that is not going to be changed at all. Can Even Hashem can change it, as we said. Hashem for sure is not given anything. Hashem just is. So can Hashem change that? No. Now if I have this person who is close to Hashem's perfection versus the person who was given that perfection. Can Hashem make it that these two people are equally like Him? No, they're not. They're never going to be equally like Him. Because again, Hashem can't say that He's any different. And if He's no different, then something similar to Him has to be with under certain guidelines. And the guidelines are that they can't be given things because Hashem wasn't given things. So if that's the case, by definition, a person who intrinsically changes himself to replicate the perfection of Hashem is always going to be more closer to that perfection than a person who is given that. Now let's add another point. Hashem is selfless. Hashem only does things for something other than himself. That we know because Hashem can't benefit from anything. Hashem needs nothing as we discussed. Hashem gains nothing from anything. Hashem just simply is perfection in the most perfect sense, whatever that means. But he doesn't, he doesn't gain by doing things. Therefore, all his actions are directed for other people. Therefore, we will call Hashem selfless. Therefore, in order to be similar to that, we also have to be selfless. So it should be very obvious to say this but let's speak out this point, that you can't be selfish and selfless at the same time. And even Hashem can't make a person person selfish and selfless at the same time. If you are selfish, then you're by definition means you're acting on for your own benefit. Now, if you're selfish, you are by definition not similar to someone who is selfless, and that means not similar to 
Hashem. So again, if I have a person who's acting selflessly and a person who's acting selfishly, the person who's acting selflessly, selflessly by definition will be more closer, similar to Hashem, certainly Hashem's actions, as opposed to the one who is acting selfishly. Now let's take murder for a second. If I define murder as a selfish action, now without getting into the details of why that is, but let's assume that for now. Murder is a selfish action. It's taking somebody's life when it benefits you. So if that's the definition of murder, let's say, right, to kill someone for your own gain, then murder will always be under any circumstance a selfish act. There will be no way that a murder can be a selfless act because the definition of murder is for your own benefit, killing somebody else. Not just um, not just killing somebody, but killing for your own benefit. If that's a definition, then again, there will be no murder cases where it's done for a selfless act, because that by definition will not be murder. So again, if you assume that for now, take that for assumption, then those actions by definition, murder will by definition be a self selfish action. Again, a murder will by definition be a selfish action. Now, if that's the case, then it can never be that murder, which is a selfish action, will make you more similar will make you similar to Hashem and Al, who only does selfless actions. And since the definition of mitzvahs is our actions that make you more similar to Hashem's perfection, a selfish action will be an Avera. Averas are, by definition, actions that make you more dissimilar, more not like Hashem, then by definition, murder can never have been a mitzvah. If a mitzvah is defined solely by the fact that Hashem decided something, then we can have a certain conversation, and we're going to touch on this topic when we discuss morality, but that's not really what we're discussing right now. The mitzvah right now we're discussing simply as an action that makes you closer, i.e. more similar to Hashem. Therefore, any mitzvah has to be a selfless act. A murder, by definition, is a selfish act. Therefore, there's no other circumstance, there's no circumstance where murder could have ever been a mitzvah. That means the mitzvahs are always there as they are. So to summarize a little bit, what we're saying is that if Hashem would have brought us straight into Olam Haba, by definition, we would not have been as close to him as if we would do it by ourselves. Because if it was given, then that takes us, makes us by definition, not similar to Hashem. And by definition, we're not sharing that perfection because Hashem's perfection is intrinsic and not something external to him. It's something that's given is external. It's basically where, as we're going to expand later on when we talk about Bechira and morality and all these other t- t- topics, but we're trying to make a- ourselves as similar to a first cause as a Kurdish Baruch Hu is. We're never going to be exactly like Hashem, that's impossible, but as similar as possible. So a first cause doesn't have any other reasons for how he is, and his, certainly the perfection of a first cause is something that it's not given to him. And therefore, if we're given something, by definition, we're going to be not so similar already to Hashem. And therefore, the ultimate maximum pleasure that Hashem could give us is by having us earn it, by having us intrinsically earn the pleasure, which makes us more similar to Him. And therefore, Hashem could not have put us straight into Olam Haba. He has to actually first put us into Olam Hazeh in order for us to be as similar to Him as possible. And by Hashem wanting to create the world in order to accomplish giving us as much benefit and pleasure as possible, then He has to, Kiviachal, has to put us in Olam Hazza first in order for us to earn it, in order for us to become as much like him as possible. And again, that's the ultimate perfection. You can't replicate that perfection. You can't replicate that benefit or pleasure anywhere else. You can't just put it into a, these pools into our spa because, again, by definition, Hashem can't create another Hashem and his perfection can't be replicated. And therefore, Hashem's perfection is ultimately the only thing that's going to be the highest pleasure, and that's not something Hashem can replicate. And once that's the case, then we have to follow his Torah, have to follow his mitzvahs that are all, as it were, designed in that way in order for us to benefit and get as much pleasure as possible, and in order for us to actually, in order for the world to accomplish what it was set out to accomplish, which is to benefit for our purpose. Now, as an aside, a little bit just to end this, there's a little bit of a question here, which I want to 
just mention it. It it seems that the whole world was created for our benefit, yet our ultimate benefit is that we are selfless, meaning our ultimate benefit comes through us being selfless, yet if the whole world was created for us, so it almost sounds like it's setting us up to fail. Meaning to say the whole world was created for our pleasure. So, well, if we're just simply going to do what the world was designed for, i.e. go for a certain pleasure, well, that really has a selfish element to it. And if that's the case, then by definition, we can't have the ultimate pleasure because we're supposed to be selfless. So how does this actually work? As much as we're using the tools that Hashem gave us, we're really only accomplishing more and more for ourselves, which makes it a selfish act. A person could be the ultimate selfish person and do all the mitzvahs because he could say to himself, well, I want the ultimate schar. I don't want the cheap schar that... The, 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 the scar that comes and goes through physicality. I don't want just food. I don't want just other, these ephemeral pleasures that we have. I don't want those. I want the real, real benefit. And that's Olam Haba. But if you do that, then you're ultimately being, in a certain sense, the real selfish person. You're, you're obviously more intelligent and you realize that this, that that scar is much better than the cheap physical scars. But in, in theory, what you're doing is just a simple selfish action. And then it should really undermine the whole thing. So I really think that the answer is something that we discussed already. And I think this is, in a certain sense, the perspective that I, th- I believe Hashem wants us, which is that it's in terms of what we discussed earlier, the difference between motivation and accomplishing something. So even if everything is true, even if the whole world is created for my pleasure and my benefit, it doesn't mean that my motivation has to be for my own benefit. When these people talk about these, these ideas that there's no act of altruism, because uh, you fe- let's say you feel good when you give a poor person tzedakah, let's say. So even though you're giving stuck or giving a poor person money, so it's a really selfless act, but no, you're, you're benefiting from it because you feel good. It's only half true. A person can do a real selfless act based on the motivation versus what it accomplishes. As we, as we said before, this distinction. Motivation is why I'm doing such a thing and what it accomplishes, what the results of these things are, what, what it accomplishes, what not necessarily the purpose, but what actually, in this case, it's what it accomplishes. So let's say I decide that I have no benefit. I personally have no benefit to giving staka to an ani, then I give him. Even if I feel good afterwards, it doesn't really change much. Meaning, if into my motivation, I understand that I could feel good afterwards, but I'm not going to do it for that reason. I could feel a lot better doing a lot of different things. So I'm going to decide to give staka because it simply is the right thing. I don't want someone else to benefit. That's in my choice. That's in my motivation. And again, I recognize that what's going to happen is that something beneficial will come to me. I have a good feeling afterwards I give the tzedakah. But that's not pushing me and not motivating me to do the action. What's simply motivating me to the action is for my selfless reasons. I want. I simply want to benefit somebody else. Yes, I'm going I'm to benefit myself, but I wouldn't do it for that benefit. I would equally do it. Even if I wouldn't benefit, I would do the same action. So then you know that your motivation is 100% selfless. Even if afterwards you, you are benefiting from something, it doesn't make the fact, doesn't make the action a selfish action. It doesn't make it not altruistic anymore. It just simply means that there are selfless actions that you benefit from. So this idea that people like to say that there's no such thing as a selfless act, well, it really, again, it depends. It's not really true. If my motivation is purely selfless, then it is a selfless action. And I think it's the same thing over here. If my motivation simply is that I'm going to keep mitzvahs because Hashem says, whatever comes from me, it doesn't matter. Meaning to say, even if I would say that I don't get benefit, let's say I don't get benefit from these mitzvahs, would I still do them? If the answer is yes, that means I'm not doing it because of the benefit, and therefore I'm not a selfless, selfish person, and therefore I'm a selfless. And that to me is really the ultimate, ultimate of what Hashem wants for us. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody's like that on every every day and every decision. I don't mean that, of course, we're human beings and we have 
a ladder to go up in life. That's not the issue. But as in a pristine way, as a, in terms of sense, where Hashem really wants us to get ultimately is this, that we're completely 100% selflessly doing these actions for Hashem's honor. Whatever He wants from us, whatever He wants the world, whatever He wants us to do, it doesn't make a difference, my own benefit. Yes, I might benefit, but who cares? The Vilna Gaon is quoted as saying very similar ideas to this, and he says that even if he would get Gehenim for doing mitzvahs, even if he would get the ultimate not benefit for doing mitzvahs, he would still do the mitzvahs because it's the right thing. And this is the idea. The idea is he's doing mitzvahs simply because it's the right thing to do without taking into account his benefit. The fact that he does get benefit and pleasure from that, that doesn't make a difference in terms of his decision. In terms of guiding his decision, doesn't make a difference. And that's why... Okay, and that's the idea of what Hashem wants from us. And again, so in, in a summary, Hashem created the world for our pleasure, our benefit. That was just a, a side point of how we could actually accomplish this. But in short, Hashem created the world not for Him, but for our benefit, for our pleasure. That the entire world was created just for our sake. It doesn't mean that that's our perspective, as we said, but the entire world that, that Hashem created was simply for our benefit, our pleasure. And this is what it means, Olam Chesed Yibane. Chesed is for doing an action for somebody else. Gersh Baruch created the entire world with an act of Chesed. It wasn't for Him. He can't take anything. He doesn't get anything. doesn't benefit. doesn't gain anything out of this. It was simply for our pleasure, for our benefit. That's why Hashem created the world. Exclusive content on Patreon. You can submit your question and get them answered only for members on Patreon. Don't forget to check out our own website, msoftorah.com. And remember, we are wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Subscribe to know when the next episode is being released. The podcast is produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.